Hello, mate. Hello, Trevor. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm not doing too bad, mate. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of We Need to Talk About Movies podcast. Again, today, uh, it's been rare in the past, but we are actually sat in the same room again. So the recording, the audio device, it might sound a little bit hollow, echoey. We're in a different location than usual, but hopefully it's not going to be too bad. I'm sure they can live with it. As long as you can understand what we're saying, and uh, that's fine. So today it's a, v- a listener's choice again, isn't it, Nave? Is it a listener's choice? It is. And the listener's choice that we're going with is sent in by Ingrid Laura Fox Fife, and it is Talk Radio 1988 film directed by Oliver Stone. Ever heard of it, Nave? Uh, until it? it was suggested. I hadn't heard of it. I haven't seen it. No, I used to be a bit of a fan of Oliver Stone films when I was younger, in my late teens, early 20s. And I remember they had an Oliver Stone season on Channel 4, and this was one of the films played on that. Right. So I watched it back then. I can't really remember anything about it. But I'd imagine it's quite sort of controversial, quite sort of anti-the system. Right. I watched a trailer earlier to try and remind myself, but... Apart from that, Nath, we're pretty much both going in this blind. Good. Which will be good. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, the thing is, is with a lot of modern films, you know, you watch trailers and I've lost track of how many times someone has turned around with their first review of a film and said, oh, yeah, all well, the best bits were in the trailer or, you know, there wasn't any, you know, they gave the plot away in the trailer or, or whatever. Like, you know, yeah. it's it's nice to be going in with no preconceptions, you know, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, we'll. So, like we did with Rubber the other week, we're going to watch this and then come back and chat about it. But before we get on with that, um, did you, you ever seen much of uh, Oliver Stone films? I wouldn't be able to tell you, if I'm honest. He's done some good <clears throat> ones like Platoon, Wall Street. Right. I prefer his earlier stuff to his latest stuff. It's Wall Street, Charlie and Marty Charlie Sheen. Sheen. Yep, yeah, yeah. Both and Platoon's Charlie Sheen again, isn't it? That's right, yeah. And um, oh, is that Natural Born Killers. Was oh, I've seen Natural Born Killers, yeah. yeah. I remember watching that with you, actually. And Woody Harrelson, isn't it? Yeah, one of his... I can't think what other films I've watched recently is. I think the most recent film of his I've watched was W. Have you seen that? No, I don't know if yeah. I have... Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin, yeah. Plays um, George W. Bush. Right. And it was sort of just when Josh Brolin was making a comeback in films like... um, Men in Black 3? (laughs) Before that. Um, Yeah, so it's just sort of seen him in No Country for Old Men. Right, yeah. And this was around the same sort of time. But he was absolutely brilliant as George W. Bush. You wouldn't think it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really great. But that's not this. Anyway. um, So we go... Yeah, if you listeners want to suggest anything, there's a pinned post on our Facebook page, facebook.com, we need to talk about movies podcast, or you can email us, wnmovietalk at gmail.com. Good job we don't pay to, for a Gmail, for an email, because no one's emailed us yet. There's no one emailed us yet. No. I did contemplate um, sending you an email from an obscure address. Oh, right. Just... <laughs> For shits and giggles, I was going to You should have done, I would have got quite excited about it. Well, now you've said we haven't had any emails, I feel that it might have been quite cruel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, if we've had an email. Oh, oh, no, yeah, sorry, Trev, that was me. So, last week we reviewed, and the audience listened to, Stranger Than Fiction. 
Oh, right, yes, of course, they haven't yet, but they no, will they by have. the time this is gone. They up. have. Oh, no, yeah, because we that went out. We have caught up. Right, oh, okay, yeah, I'm with <laughs> so you. we're recording this at a later date than usual, and we're actually, when we're talking about the last podcast we've done, it actually was the last podcast we'd done and that the listeners heard. I'm never going to get the hang of this. No. <laughs> so, um, we didn't have many comments about it, but Philip250505... Said, Sounds like a robot. I went to school with a two a two fifty five oh five. I wonder if it's any relation. Do you know Philip two fifty five oh five? Do you know Todd two fifty five oh five? Because I went to school with him. I haven't seen him for years. I wonder if he's a cousin or something. <laughs> <laughs> but he said, "I saw it's... I saw this film at the cinema. Great film." Um, and we had on the. On the Facebook page again, Torren said, I enjoyed this podcast while taking a walk. I watched this movie many years ago after my son recommended it to me and loved it. Very entertaining to get your views on it. And then she put, I also listened to you talking about The Fly. Equally entertaining and you actually freshen my memories and make them bigger with all your lovely, lively reactions to the development from Man to Fly. And she's put numerous emojis, one including the sick emoji. <laughs> numerous emojis. <laughs> so thanks, Torrent. Thanks for messaging. And uh, thanks, Philip, 250505. It is quite a common last name, that. It's it highly is. unlikely it be, that they're yeah. related. No, there's a lot of them. So have you seen anything this week, now? I have seen films this week, but I cannot for the life of me remember what they are. It seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah, my week's been pretty busy. I haven't really had time to sit down and watch anything. I'd have to go on my Netflix account and go through what I've watched, history of what I've watched. I don't think I've watched anything particularly interesting, memorable or noteworthy. No. No, otherwise I probably would have remembered it and made the notes. Yeah. Well, let's... um, I put to the Facebook group again, if anyone's watched anything, um, one person got back to us and they... Yeah? What have they watched? It was Chris Balker. He said he's been working his way through the Final Destination series this week. Right. Okay. Seen any of them? I think I've seen the first one. I that, think is that where they narrowly escape an accident and then like, it slowly catches up with them? It's like Mousetrap, isn't it? Right. <laughs> the game of Mousetrap. That's, that's what we got like. The first bit was like, were they on the plane or something? And the plane... Was supposed to crash but didn't. Yeah. And then it's... They slowly die anyway. Yeah. I've heard that one of the last ones is actually one of the better ones, but I've never watched past. Not my cup of tea, really. I got a bit... No. It was a bit predictable to the end. and I, I think I watched 80% of the first one, and then sort of, like, it was like, oh, you know, it's bedtime. This isn't keeping my attention enough to stay up. But no. It doesn't mean it's a bad film. It's just I don't really get on with those type of style of films anyway. No. You know what it. I mean? I like a, I like a horror... And I like a thriller, but that's a bit, yeah, I don't know, not my cup of tea, but each to their own. Not putting you off, Chris. I hope you're enjoying them. But anyway, so we've had a bit of a, a, a chat here about random stuff. Let's watch this film and then come back and, and then discuss. Do, do some telling. Do some telling. Do some discussions about telling. <laughs> we'll see you all soon. Cheers. Cheers. Okay. Well, right, we, we've watched the film. <laughs> we did watch talk, talk Radio, which we said 
was uh, which was Ingrid Laura Fox Fife's choice. She said, it's been my favourite film since I was 16, and that was a long, long time ago. Yeah, I'd say that says a lot about Ingrid Laura Fox Fife. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I had no idea, really, what that was going to be about. I'll be honest with you, I feel tired now. Yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah. It's, um, it was a really interesting film. It was like, it put me in mind a lot of Uncut Gems throughout. Yes. Not just because Eric Bogosia is in. It sort of makes you think, well, I wonder why they asked, you know, look for Eric Bogosia to appear in Uncut Gems. Do you think that's... They've obviously taken some inspiration from that as a film, I'd say, wouldn't you? The yeah. uh, Safdie Brothers. Definitely. The way it was filmed, the way it was shot, the way it made you feel all the way through. Uh, you know, some, I wouldn't say they've like mimicked some of the shots, but the style of the cinematography was very sort of, uh, sort of, you know, to and from sort of, yeah. you know. And it definitely, uh, like you pointed out, the main character just definitely reminds you of the way Adam Sandler played uh, the main character in Uncut Gems. It's quite an arrogant character, isn't he? Quite highly strung. <laughs> yeah. But the whole film, like, you know, from the first scene with the opening credits and you're hearing him on the radio talking to different people and you're seeing all the confusion and all the activity in the studio, instantly at that scene I was like, God, this is as hectic as Uncut Gems. Yeah. And like Uncut Gems, it just, it was relentless, wasn't it, until the last minute? Yeah, yeah. The film, the sort of basic storyline, or, well, the basic plot momentum, the way it builds and the way it carries through, is very similar in its sort of introduction, build-up, peak and finale. It goes through the same motions as Uncut Gems. It does, yeah. You and know. a lot of the similar themes, isn't there? And a sort of, he's got the two women. Yeah, his girlfriend and his ex-wife. Yeah, he's very sort of. Com- he's got his agenda, hasn't he? Yeah, and that's his life. Yeah, and whoever he hurts or disregards throughout, sort of doesn't matter to him, does it? Until the end, it's like he sort of almost has a realization at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the same way as Uncut Gems, and you feel like there's this resolution coming to the chaos that you've just sat yourself yeah. through, and then the inevitable slap in the face. <laughs> yeah, very similar. But yeah, I can see... Because you said, I can't see why anyone would say this was their favourite film. <laughs> I, it's, I don't mean that to imply that it's a bad film in no, any way. No. But I can't... I mean, I enjoyed the film. It's well made, and like I said, Eric Brozon's sort of performance was is it Brojon? Bogosian. Bogosian. Uh, Eric Bogosian. Eric Bogosian's performance was amazing. Brilliant. Yeah. The scene where they've mounted a camera obviously on some sort of turntable facing him and it's just going round and round and round in the yeah. studio. Yeah, like when he's given his end monologue. Yeah, well. yeah. It's just amazing. And the emotion <clears throat> and the tension on his face, you can see the effort he's putting in. His face is getting redder and redder, and then it sort of calms, and then it starts building and getting redder yeah. again. The intensity in his eyes, it was a mesmerising performance, like, you know. But, that said, I'm not entirely sure that I could rate something that made me feel that uncomfortable all the way through <laughs> as being my favourite film. Everyone's different, aren't they? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> totally, you know. 
But uh, it's obviously a film that's resonated with Ingrid at that time when she watched it. She was 16. And you, you're, when you watch something and it does stick with you, and if you watch it more and more, you see more in it. And, I mean, some of the themes and stuff in there are a little dated, but a lot of it's still really relevant today, yeah, isn't it? Sure. A lot of the themes are more relevant today than they would have been 10 years ago. Yeah. And so at the time, it's almost like this film is a... Like, look what's coming. And now we're there still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Looking at how it's evolving further. I think... A lot of the themes of racism and homosexuality and everything now has got more liberal and people have a better understanding of it. But still, there seems to be all this tension and it's almost as if it's gone so far that now it's coming back and it's... I don't know, because, I mean, I until last year, I thought we lived in quite a good time for liberal, you know. But now there seems to be a sort of an uprising, not an uprising, but a lot of things have flared up again. Without getting political, I don't want to yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, shoot no. myself in the foot. But you see things going on and you're like, well, I didn't realise, you know, this is an issue. And is it still, I don't know. Right, I don't want to get I into think it. sort of... <laughs> The, they have continued to be the issues that he sort of uh, broaches in the film have continued to be issues but it's just been through one thing and another they've all been just thrust right back into the limelight and in a year where there was nothing else to um, cover in the media other than coronavirus sort of you know they've picked up and run with whatever other story they can get hold of and it's just sort of flared everything right back up in the media as well isn't it yeah you know and they are serious issues uh and points that are raised in the film and i think going back to um sort of watching the film as a teenager there's very anti-establishment rebellious sort of notions within the film uh very strong almost blinkered opinions in some ways that are sort of mentioned within the film that sort of... It, it might be like listening to offbeat sort of aggressive rock music as a teenager to sort of kind of rebel yeah, in a way. Yeah. This film is the sort of film equivalent. Well, I think when I said earlier that I was a big fan of Oliver Stone's work and a lot of his work is sort of anti the establishment and anti the media and, you know, at the same time, he's... He's got this voice and it's always that controversial voice and I think that's what resonated with me as a youngster, you know? Because um, I like, he used to love JFK, you know, it's, I think it's like three and a half hours long or something, but it was just, yeah, the, the government are involved in this and, you know, it's, yeah, you know, you make, the USA isn't the best country that they think they are. They can successfully kill their own president and, yeah. you know, it's, when you're just coming of age, you start to realise that you've seen the whole world through rose-tinted glasses of naive children, and then you're yeah, starting yeah. to realise, oh, things ain't exactly what they seem. And it does, it does sort of resonate with you. Hmm. I'm very much the sort of person that sort of, you know, puts his barrier up and sort of tries to maintain those rose-tinted glasses yeah. by just basically ignoring that. And I know you've noticed that about me, and we've yeah. had, you know, d but, discussions on the topic in the past. But, you know, it's it's a real sort of whirlwind ride of a film. The, you know, the subject matter, um, 
and the way Barry, the main character, is is so he's clearly made a name for himself and got his show in the first place from being rude and from being offensive and opinionated and else. But yeah, 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 and that's it. And people tune in and it's popular. Otherwise, he wouldn't have got the show in the first place. You know. Yeah. So you know, it's no surprise once you get into the film that he is the way he is. But you know, when you take that personality off air and you realise that he's the same person with every aspect of his his personal life uh, and everything else, you know, it's like, oh, right, okay, well, there's no separation between the the on-air persona and and, and the real Barry. That's when you start to come across the real sort of, you start to get your real feelings towards the character sort of unfold like. Yeah, because there's 75% of this film is him on the radio. Yeah, but yeah, you are taken out of the radio environment and the actual live radio show just for a bit to just get an insight into his character, and and they even take you back to the flashback. And I think the flashback scene for me, I think the film could have done without that. Yeah, it felt unnecessary, and it felt like it didn't fit there, didn't it? As soon as you went back, and he's all, oh, he's all dressed up like with his long wig, and you sort of get the idea. I don't know, it just didn't feel like the same film i think they could have given background in a different way without necessarily sort of going back to that and the background scene was so prolonged and it was all in one hit rather than being like a little little bit here and a little bit there and i mean his wife ellen just looks so dowdy and you just think well how can she i know you don't make the connection between the Ellen you've just met as she's reintroduced into his life. She's come back for the for his like next chapter of his life where he's gonna be national. To the Ellen in that flashback scene, right up until the bit where she walks in and they're like having affairs and she's like, oh you know, she walks in and walks out. That scene just felt weird to me as well, because you've got Stu there who's his mate in the studio and he's like, oh, they're giggling and they're spying around the door. And you just think, well, if you're her friend, which clearly is, because later on when he yeah, she comes very... back to the studio, she's like, oh, it's good to see you. And yeah. she would never be, you know, surely a woman would be like, no, you fucked around. Yeah. And you encouraged implying... my husband to fuck around, you know. I'm not going to be your friend. Yeah. You know. Yeah, for sure. No, it's, um, it just didn't sit real, that. That whole section in the middle, I don't... Yeah, it didn't... Took you out of it. And I don't think it needed that. I think they could have done it just through dialogue between sort of Barry and his wife. Yeah, well, they already had, really, in the scene leading up to the... Yeah. She sort of said everything that is then given to us on a platter... Yeah, she basically implied that he was fooling around with other women and that she caught him. And then they kind of double up on it by showing the scene where she comes in announcing that she should have been at her mother's, but she wasn't or couldn't. And then she comes back to find him cheating on her with another woman. And that's, yeah, that bit was definitely unnecessary because you just heard them say it, as you say. Yeah. And also having that sort of weird... I know it's probably fashionable or, or whatever um, technology. But the haze. Yeah, the haze. Yeah, to make it look like an almost dreamy. And, yeah. Was, yeah. All it needed was a harp over the top, you know? <laughs> <laughs> or like a vignette around yeah, the yeah. outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't think... Yeah, that that didn't really speak to me, that. 
But you were saying earlier, Eric Bogosian's character, Barry, and how he, you know, his portrayal of that was really sort of top notch. And uh, we mentioned it in the Uncut Gems uh, podcast, but Eric Bogosian actually adapted this, this film, this screenplay, from a version of a play that he wrote himself with someone else. So right. he was performing this character uh, as a play. So His own character, like... Um, I think it was based on a book oh, right, said at the beginning. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so he's obviously, you know, it's a character dear to his heart. And it, it is, you know, no wonder he's given such a good performance. And I'd obviously think Oliver Stone probably heard of this, watched it and thought, I can make a film of this, you know? Yeah. Um, and then used Eric Bogosian rather than, because... Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? No, absolutely fantastic. But it speaks everything in Oliver Stone's sort of repertoire, you know? Yeah. And themes that often come up, corporate greed and, you know, the Vietnam and just how the government influence people and the media influences people to get them all, the American people doing what they want. But isn't the American people phoning in? It's just frightening that there's people out there like that (laughs) yeah the thing is is they're all very believable characters i mean you know i'm saying that i've never been to america i've met very few people that are american but how they are portrayed on the media or how you see genuine american people being interviewed on american television it's you know easy to believe that there are these radicalists sort of out there yeah. you know that have those opinions like yeah. you know and it's even getting like it in this country now oh more yeah. so on the, like you know we mentioned before the building sites and the young lads they have very drastic and extreme opinions and like we were saying about the sort of content they watch online and things you know yeah and they're getting it's they're getting uh desensitized desensitized yeah and it's very strange times, and as I've you know got children growing up, you just sort of think, I hope they don't <laughs> veer into that territory. Yeah, it's difficult. I like think they wouldn't. The thing is, is you know, there's no questioning the fact that the availability of this content with the internet and social media is definitely having an effect on the way people are. Yeah, you know, and it's. A lot of the stuff you have to wonder about, I mean, you know, certain things are being videoed because everybody's got a camera, video camera in their pocket, and then these things are being displayed, sort of, you know, it, and it is changing the way people are, you know, a lot of times, you know, people sort of, every time I receive a message with a video clip in it from someone at work, <laughs> before I open it, I'm like, what is it? Yeah. Because I don't want to see it. You yeah. know, what I mean? do I want to watch this? Exactly. You know, I'm my own censor, if you like, in that way. Yeah. Doesn't Kent, the character in there who's phoned in and ends up in the studio? Yeah. yeah a very strange character. He was a, a, a hoax caller, wasn't he? And then Eric Bogosian's like, yeah, we're going to get him in and just make a tit of him. Yeah. But um, he even says something to the fact that, you know, one day we'll all be able to see what... We'll yeah, yeah, he talks about uh, a television where you can see both ways, and it's just like, well, <coughs> that's exactly what um, FaceTime is. It is, and it's like now, you know I mean, over in America they have, somewhere, someone along the line said, um, fear is entertainment, 
or something to that effect in the film. And it is very much their news over there is sensationalist, isn't it? There's so many news networks. It's like that film Nightcrawler, is it, with um, Jake Gillinghall? Right, he's yeah. He's got to go and get the best shots of the car crashes and sell them for the more money. Um, they have that more, you know. Our news is quite sort of on the fence over here and it's quite tame. We blur out images and, you know, whereas over there I think it's a bit more... It, news for ratings. That yeah. story's dull. It's not news, you know. Yeah. Give us another crash. So it's thing. something we've heard time and time again, isn't it? Like bad news sells. Yeah. You know, people are, are hooked on bad news, which is why when you watch the, the news, it is so negative. And you, you see it even in films like Anchorman, where like they just do a little fluff piece at the end about a squirrel that rides <laughs> around on uh, jet skis. You know what I mean? So... You know, it is weirdly structured, even in this country to an extent, it is weirdly structured to try and keep people watching, isn't it? You know what I mean? But it's if you watch too much of it, you'd sort of think that the world is just this horrible, horrendous place that's fallen apart. But when you look at statistics, if you exclude the coronavirus situation, there's never been a safer time globally to to be alive, you know? But yeah, but the... The sort of content that he's sort of firing out on his sort of radio station, you know, he's very intentionally very provocative, trying to enrage the caller and making themselves look like an idiot. And then when he's had enough of it, just hanging up on him, like, you know, and clearly that's the sort of provocative, aggressive listening that's got him the ratings in the first place. It's like an extreme version. He's getting more extreme with himself to get recognised you know and then they've got this the whole film starts off and there's like the two suits Alec Baldwin and the other chap who I've recognised from something I was going to look him up John Pankow is it hasn't he played a similar character in something before I was like watching it thinking why why is he so recognisable to me here I've definitely seen him in a film dressed in the same suit I think He's turned up to the radio station and he's representing the national radio station that they're doing a deal with and they're going to start broadcasting this show out into... Um, to the whole nation. To the whole nation. Batch not included. That's what he was in. Similar character turning up to try and bribe them all to get... Yeah. You know, yeah, he yeah. was the chap in the limo, I think. Yeah, so the station's going to go ahead with broadcasting his show nationally and because at the moment he's, he's set in Dallas which is a strange town to have it's, I think isn't that where there's a like a an extremist um, quite a sort of a, a, a redneck sort of yeah it's in the southern states isn't it Dallas it's, it's, well, it's in Texas isn't it yeah. like, you know and it's it's somewhere where you'd imagine someone like Barry He's yeah. not really wanted there, is he? So he really is stirring up a hornet's nest. Yeah, that. you'd imagine if he was in sort of a more liberal sort of northern state that there wouldn't be so much aggression to what he's saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? So maybe, you know, will it work as a national show? Who knows? But he's clearly getting um, some sort of audience. But the, the th- there's a scene, the scene in there where he goes to the basketball game or is yeah. it a football game yeah, to sort of introduce yeah. someone and you that's when you see him outside of his 
his work persona on the radio and you see how much and whether the national deal has sort of inflated his own opinion of himself or his, his opinion of his own self-worth and the way that he's sort of talking to people as or behaving whilst people are asking for his autographs and that and you just think Jesus what yeah, prick. He's still talking down to them and still belittling them yeah. and his secretary his, uh, his producer Stroke's his girlfriend. girlfriend he's just completely yeah. belittling her the whole time as well yeah the only one now mentioning that the only one in I think valuable or important scene that was in the flashback is when he's in the toilet with his wife and he says, fuck our marriage. Yeah. You know, that was uh, sort of, not for any other reason than it just highlights his character. Yeah. And his Career ambition. Driven. Yeah. From how early on. Yeah. We could know. be this. And she, and, oh, I don't want to take the fun out of our marriage. Fuck our marriage. Yeah. You know, don't you want to see me succeed? And then there was the bit where he meets in the suit shop, where he meets the uh, radio personality yeah and he introduces his wife and then immediately steps in front of her and you can see how put off she was but those two things sort of really sort of rung out as giving you a lot more in-depth background into his character but other than that it was yeah Yeah. i mean i suppose the scene where he's on the radio show as a guest but then he's like sort of taking over taking over and the bloke's like getting frustrated with him like shut up but then the phone call comes through and all of a sudden he's the top man the film as well although a lot more it's a very dark film and it's very angry and he, he he's a shock jock in the sense that have you ever seen the film howard stern film i can't remember what it's called he's a radio dj out there and he's he's a bit more zany and more comedy but he just says things to shock and does things to shock and he's like a massive success um uh, and there was a film about him, yeah, Private Parts, and it's basically the story of how, or his version of the story of how he got to where he was, and he, he plays himself. Right. And I kept thinking of that film, and that's a film I watched years ago, I used to really enjoy it, but almost forgot it existed until I was watching this. Completely unrelated, but <laughs> just puts me in mind, you know. I mean, some of the things that he says in it, on the show and you know people say that we should you know he's saying we should legalize drugs do you know what the biggest killer is tobacco and yes it is the biggest killer and he's saying like hundreds of thousand people die of tobacco each year but do you know how many people die of heroin and cocaine and in america four thousand a year that's a big difference i'm sure if it was legalized that number would grow exponentially don't you think yeah yeah quite quite (laughs) possibly yeah i mean that's coming from a basis of the mindset of the people that I've met and known and or have heard about in the youth that's just in our small, tiny, little rural part of the country. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because if, if things were made readily available or legal, you just take all of the roadblocks out of the way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah... He is, you know, his character, when you listen to him, especially when he's going on about the Holocaust and when he visited Germany. And But there's a scene where he's talking about that and he's talking about the Star of David and he's going on a very sort of uh, almost emotional piece about how he's holding it in his hand and yeah. then you look down and you realise he's holding a coffee cup. And that tiny little section just makes you wonder, 
Did he go to Germany? It, As well, he exactly. Just, yeah, you know They're what saying, I mean? You know, you, you're, someone was calling him up and saying, you know, you don't speak the truth. Yeah. And then he's telling, I'll tell you, you know, then he goes on this rant about Nazi Germany, but he's not telling the truth at the same time. Yeah, He's yeah. getting his point across and he's... Got the gift of the gab, hasn't he? And just yeah, that's it. And then the thing is, is it, even as a viewer watching it, when you, you're watching all these triggers that are indicating what you're supposed to be thinking and looking at, and you know the contradictory elements of what you're seeing visually or what you're hearing, you still buy into it because the dialogue's so good. Yeah. Because the character's portrayal, you know, he is such an intelligent guy, and the way that he talks, you're convinced by the facts that he's talking. Like you know, it's uh, yeah, it's just brilliant sort of put together character. Like you know, yeah. Complex, very complex. So, uh, I was just wanted to know whereabouts this came. This came after Wall Street. So, at this point, Oliver Stone had made several films. His first real big film was Salvador, but then his success, you know, the overriding success and his standout film, one of my favourite films, Platoon was next, and both in 1986. Um, then on to Wall Street and then talk radio. So so this is in like those early days where he's, he's using his, you know, he's got a platform for his voice and he's using all these real controversial films to sort of cut through the white noise and just say, look, this is, this is what we're not looking at here. You know, this is America behind the scenes. You're seeing like... Wall Street is this great place where business is done, where he shows you the seedy underside, where it's all greed. And it's like the Vietnam War, you know, up until Platoon came out, he showed you firsthand what it was like in the Platoon, rather than, there's a lot of films like Apocalypse Now, where it's like, you know, war is bad and look at this, it's crazy. Whereas he was there. Oliver Stone was a rich kid, privileged family, didn't have to go to war. Yeah, and he signed up to go to Vietnam, and he saw firsthand what it was like. And Platoon is that sort of story. So he's always had that. Look, America's not do you know we're here for different reasons. We're not winning this war, and it's you know what are we doing here? And he's always looked it like he peels back the layers to get to the gritty underside. Of it. Yeah, yeah. So I think this film just definitely speaks to that. Speaks volumes for Oliver Stone's voice. Who was his... Uh, who was the wife and what had she been in before? Because that was bugging me. Ellen Green. I've seen her do a really weak performance in something almost comical, I think, before. It looks like she was in Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. Do you know what? That came to me. So you think it might be that One Fine Day? I don't think I've seen that. Leon. Matilda's mother in Leon. Naked Gun 33 and a third. I watched that the other week, but didn't... I don't know. Her characters don't stand out. Only Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors is the only one I'd recognise there. Yeah, it might be it. don't know how long ago I watched that. It's, it's her top lip. The way her top lip was removing, it just... I knew I recognised that yeah. face for some reason. Yeah, it was so... Like, unique, in the way. When she was led on the table, talking into the phone, when she was having that monologue with him. Yeah. Sort of, that dialogue with him when she was sat there. Because her character's, like... Yeah, she can't let him go. And you just think... I don't know, there are people out there, aren't there? I just have a different mindset. <laughs> where I just think... You know, if you treat someone like shit, you don't deserve them to come back. 
And no. if you treat them like shit and then tell them that you want them and you stick, you know, it's, I'd have walked a mile if I was her. And for her to come back and... Yeah, suffer that again. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, when you're watching that scene where they're talking, um, when she's basically, she's looking out at him on the show, feeling sorry for him and seeing that he's alone and seeing that he's vulnerable and seeing that he needs help and she reaches out to him. And initially you think that he's... Or, and he is, I think, sort of, he's receiving it and understanding it and sort of taking it in and it's what he wants. But then I think maybe this is part of what the relevance of the earlier sort of flashback is. He sort of, I think he goes back into, oh, this is all a bit for the show and she'll get that and then does his bit for the show yeah. to which she takes great offence and then storms yeah, off. Yeah, he basically tells you know, her she's useless and yeah yeah <laughs> that he doesn't want her he's not interested and that she's trying to have the best of both worlds and you know she quite rightly storms off and you can see in his uh his assistant uh Stu's face that he's like mortified like what the hell are you doing you idiot yeah um but at the same time if he did like oh yeah you deserve him it wouldn't have sounded like anything else he said throughout the entire film would it? no that's it he's not so no, surely being, they would have understood and she would have understood, you know? You'd like to think so, but, yeah, you know, so. maybe, like, during the live show wasn't the best time for her to lay it all on the line. No. But he's clearly, you know, afterwards he's clearly got the intention. He's trying to tell his girlfriend that he's too old for her and sort of, you know, and he's clearly got the intention of trying to go to his ex-wife's hotel to try and sort of speak to her. And you think, oh, maybe he can, you know, he's had some sort of epiphany, some internal epiphany. He's had some realisation and he's like tr- clearly trying to. Yeah. And you, you think, oh, well, there might be a glimmer of hope there if he's realised that he's the problem or the way he's behaving. Is yeah. The problem, yeah. You know, but as we said earlier, it's the same as uncut gems, isn't it? There's that bit towards the end where you think, you know, is this, is he gonna he's gonna win this bet and that things are gonna be all right? And yeah, there's that there's that <laughs> point where because all the way through uncut uncut gems, I was unsure, and I'm sure it's designed to make you feel that way. You're unsure if if the relationship between him and his girlfriend is real or she's just doing it for money because yeah, you can't see yeah. why she'd be so interested in him. And then there's that bit where they sort of really gel and start working together and you're like, oh no, this is a real thing. And yeah. then you start rooting for him a little bit and you're like, oh, well, you know, he has got something real. Maybe he has got a heart. Maybe he does deserve it. And then, yeah. bam. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and it, John C. McGinley, um, you might recognise from Scrubs. He used to be. In, yeah, Scrubs. He? he was brilliant in Scrubs. Yeah, he's also in. He's in a lot of films, isn't he? Uh, often plays like. Have you seen him in Wild Hogs? I've not seen Wild Hogs. Don't no. watch it. But his character in Wild Hogs is hilarious. So these four guys are just like trying to be born again bikers on Harley's with all the black leather and you know bandanas and that, trying to be sort of proper bikers. And he's a highway cop on a police bike. But right. he's just like camp as you like, and he just comes up with these <laughs> weirdest sort of scenarios. Like when all four of them are sleeping, they can't get their tent up, so all four of them are just sleeping like in a man train. I suppose would be the best way to explain. They're fully clothed, like you know, and they're and he's like, um, you know, he wants to join in basically, or and they're all sort of bathing in a hot spring, and then he just turns up and sort of gets in trying to play Marco Polo with him whilst he's covering his fights. You know, it's just a funny character, but yeah. I recognise him. Uh, he says he's in Point Break and Seven. I'd imagine he plays 
I can't really remember the characters he plays in that, but I'd imagine he plays the the cop in the other partner, you know, with the other partner. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. You know, there's always like uh, rival partners in the police force, isn't there, and things like that. Yeah. I'd imagine he's the, you know, the the smart Alec one who's got the quips. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> good actor though. Yeah, he is good actor, and I mean, in this character, his character in this is. Oh, he's got the funny wig on and, you know, he's pulling the finger and stuff. And really, he, he helps to antagonise behind the scenes, doesn't he, as Barry's talking and he's just throwing him all these callers to throw him off scent and yeah. trying to, sort of trying to chuck him under the wheels, isn't he, a bit? And yeah, I think, you know, in a, in a way, like, like he says, you know, he's like, if I give you all these dull nobodies, there's going to be no show. Like, yeah. you know, I'm trying to pick yeah. the more interesting characters, but how can he possibly tell how unhinged the people that he's putting on are? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they're clearly ringing up and knowing that to get a shot to get on the show, they've got to be half sensible. They're not going to, oh, yeah, is there any chance I can speak to Barry so I can uh, threaten to kill him on air? Is that, <laughs> you know, they're not going to announce it, are they? <laughs> but he's, uh, yeah. And there's there's clearly some sort of, angst between the two characters as well but at the same time they are friends you know they've been for a lot together i guess yeah uh, i think he's also in platoon um i think he's one of the squad in platoon yeah sergeant o'neill but you have you said you've not seen platoon no no it's one on my list to watch yeah that is one we should watch that is a great film we've done a lot of films about the Second World War, or it felt like we'd done a lot, so I didn't really want to suggest sort of doing it because it felt like we were like... No, I know, well, I keep, you know, I almost suggested um, for my next film, I was going to suggest Saving Private Ryan because we haven't done a right Spielberg film and Private Ryan is one that I haven't watched a lot and it's one that I, everyone loves and I've always thought, when I first saw it, I wasn't taken by it, so I think it needs another watch. But I thought, no, let's not do another war film yet. <laughs> yeah, I see. I like Spielberg and I like Tom Hanks. So you'd think, it, you know, and I like war films. So you think it'd be a winning combination. But I think for me, that came out just as I joined the army. Right. And when you watch that opening scene, it's just like, oh, shit, what have I done? See, the opening scene was the best thing about it. And that's what everyone remembers it for. Yeah, yeah. Um but the rest of the film just seemed to be comprised of, you know, scenes from every other war film. The most harrowing scenes from previous Vietnam films. Yeah. And it yeah. wasn't even a true story about World War Two, you know. And I think there's so many true stories come off the back of D-Day. Yeah. That they could have had a better story, you know. It just never never sat with me. But anyway, that's another... That's Spielberg's and... Uh, it's not like us to get off topic and talk about other films whilst we're talking about one specific film. No, but um, definitely Platoon is one we'll have to revisit at some point. At gunpoint. We can watch it at gunpoint. Yeah. Uh, what else do I write? Because I was writing some notes. It's like really interesting how sometimes something's happening in the film and he's just listening to the caller and what they're discussing in the background often reflects sort of something that's going through him and there's the bit where the package comes and it's I mean he gets loads of death threats doesn't he throughout the film yeah and the package comes and it the chaps on the phone said oh you must have had that package by now you know I didn't put a timer in there I didn't want to throw you off the scent but makes out it's a bomb and uh 
Eric Bogosian, he's got no fear, really, has he? He just thinks, oh, these are just all... They're like trolls, aren't they? You know, yeah, internet trolls yeah. now, but anonymous callers. So he's unwrapping this box, and you see everyone else in the studio sort of anxious, and he is too, but as he's unwrapping it, the music... <laughs> the music was a bit strange, wasn't it? It sounded like almost like a horror score. Yeah, yeah. And it came in and it didn't... The music didn't fit in this film, I didn't think. But, yeah, you hear that horror score come in and he's unwrapping the box and the caller in the background is talking about fear, the fear of putting her hand in the... Yeah. And not knowing what to find. And it all just echoing what you're watching on the screen and there's real clever bits like that. I think when you see him opening that parcel and you saying about him having no fear, I didn't really look at him as being a character that had no fear. I just thought that he had such confidence in his yeah, own opinion, yeah. like his own opinion that that guy's uh, harmless. Yeah, that it was. It's all it wasn't. Hot he, air. Yeah, he hadn't really sort of. Oh, and like the the guy that come into the studio, it's like no, 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 no. That was just a hoax. His girlfriend's not dying. You know, that's fake. It's yeah, just, you can you tell. Know, yeah, and he's just so overbearingly confident of his own opinion to be right. Yeah. That he just, you know, that's that's what sort of overrides it. And that's what gave him the confidence to open that package right there. And that's why, despite all the death threats, he there's no security outside. He just goes to his car in a dark car park in the middle of nowhere, like, you know, and, and sort of things like that. He's just no... Very much, again, the Adam Sandler character in Uncut Gems was completely that sort of, you know, he was that confident in his own self that, Nothing, yeah. no harm was going to come to him. Yeah. And he was fucking around with these loan sharks and that and didn't think nothing of it. You can just, I keep coming back to it, but this film just completely sort of parallel to yeah, Uncut Echoes Gems, it, isn't yeah. it? So, does that sort of, in your mind, does it take away from Uncut Gems a bit? No, not at all. I think film is just, you know, the Safdie brothers are a new generation of filmmaker. The film is a completely different story. Yeah. But they've bound to have taken influences from here, there and everywhere. And obviously this film had an influence on them. Yeah, for sure. How can you make a a film about an unlikable character in a real intense, uncomfortable situation? A film that, you know, people love. And you watch it and you're like, oh my God, that was intense. But that's the ride, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, you know, some people... Love going on fairground rides and jumping out of planes, and you know you're not doing it to just for the comfort and relaxation, are you? You know. No, no, no. This was like jumping out of an aeroplane continually for like an hour and a half, <laughs> chasing your parachute. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> you dropped it. your parachute. And you're like trying to catch it on the way. Yeah, it's like an hour and a half straight of falling <laughs> trying to catch a parachute. But then, you know, Uncut Gems was as well. I remember you saying when you watched that, that, oh my God, I just... <laughs> what have you done to me, Trev? What are you making me watch? It, yeah, it's, you know, and like I say, for me, these sort of films aren't the things that I search out. No. And that's part of what, what we're doing with this, you know, and it's not, we're not literally just going to that's why, you know, you're picking a film, I'm picking a film, uh, the viewers, the listeners are picking a film and sort of we're trying to do one random, like, you know yeah, what I mean? So a you, weird or shit film. Yeah, so you can't, <laughs> you can't 
be completely in control of what you're watching. It is no. going to open you up to new experiences and, and appreciate other people's views and opinions. Well, that's it. I mean, without this show, who would have ever known that I would love um, Hitler and the Bigfoot? <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't think you were going to like it because before I watched it a second time, I was unsure about it. So yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Or we just enjoyed it because we're looking at it in a different sense. Yeah, maybe. The but, thing is, is my opinion was progressing and changing of it as we were talking about it. Yeah, you know, and I think it's the same with this because whilst we were watching it, I was sort of like, I at one point I looked at my phone to see, you know, how much of this have we got left? When did it start? You know what I mean? But <laughs> talking about it, there are, and like, you know, and the things that you point out about it, like the parallels when he's, he's, you know, what's been spoken about on the phone or on the caller whilst he's unwrapping the package and stuff, clever little things that I, you know, don't necessarily pick up on and you sort of start to appreciate it more. But, yeah, for me, these kind of films are not... Not your go-to. Yeah, no, no, no. See, I like an intense film. I do like, not, you know, you've got your thrillers and stuff where it's action and you always think, well, the lead character's safe. You know, you always feel that they're safe. No, And all these elaborate chase scenes and fight scenes and action sequences, they're just, I'm never on the edge of my seat watching that, you no. know? Whereas something like this, you are, you're just like, oh, what is going to happen here? Yeah, and I think maybe I you think can sort of see the ending coming, but I doubt you would have back then right. when it first came out. Yeah, and I mean, especially after we've watched Uncut Gems and then watching this, and especially with that thought of Uncut Gems, as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, I've seen Uncut Gems. There was only one resolution to that. Yeah, and there's only one resolution to this. Yeah, and but you can see it coming by about halfway through the film. I was adamant that that's going to happen. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, but then I liked the bit. At the only point throughout the whole film where you get to relax is at the end when they're just playing the, the voices of the yeah, different callers yeah. and the different characters speaking about, him. about yeah speaking about Barry after he's yeah. gone like you know and his mate Stu there says about he was flapping his dick to the last minute or something yeah you flap yeah, your yeah. dick about like that you're gonna get it chopped off <laughs> can't remember quite how the analogy went but um. Yeah, it was, and, that, and the music was sort of relaxing at that time, wasn't it? And yeah, and it was almost comical to hear, and the reflection of people saying why they enjoyed him, but at the same time, it was, people hated him, but they loved to hate him, didn't they? You know? Yeah, yeah, it, but it just the fickleness, you know, because there's, I think it shows something about the selectiveness of the people that the voices that they choose, you know, because they were specifically choosing people to aggravate the conversation when they were recording his show. And then when you're trying to record a show about someone's passing and about mourning for someone, then it's almost like they're specifically choosing people with nice sentiments. You know what I mean? But it's sort of, you know, gives you a, a different cross-section because clearly in order to have the show there must have been many people that enjoyed listening to him yeah not just the ones that ring up or send letters threatening to kill him you know yeah there was a bit in there as well where he says uh all right next we're going to play you the Bee Gees, and then they played uh it wasn't the Bee Gees, they played disco inferno and i thought I wonder if they were supposed to play the Bee Gees, but they couldn't get the rights to it. So they just yeah, chucked had something to play, else in. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. But, I mean, Disco Inferno is one of my favourite songs anyway. I think it's a great song. One of my favourite disco songs. <laughs> if I had to choose one, that. And it's, Night. it's always on in his car everywhere we go. <laughs> you, you joke. But <laughs> <laughs> I um, think that as well, the scene in the basketball hall, it was brilliant to see him having the water thrown over him. Yeah. That woman that was speaking to him, her character was so weird. She was so happy and chirpy, asking for his autograph, and then full of hate for him in what yeah. she was saying. Yeah. And then at the end, he turns back to tell you something once more, and she throws her glass of water or whatever over him. So yeah. that's sort of put him off balance to start off with. And then to stand up in front of that whole crowd of people and have this resounding boo that yeah, was drowning everyone hated <laughs> any cheer and he just looked up in disbelief because he thought you know he's like you know and that's it for me Barry the man you love to love or whatever and he, yeah. that's his sign off isn't it like you know and then that suddenly you wouldn't realized, think if he was him you wouldn't go out would you <laughs> you would try and keep a low profile you wouldn't do these public yeah speaking. you'd probably live in another country <laughs> yeah strange because there's a lot about the sort of the Jews and things in there as well and you know, obviously he's Jewish and he's speaking out. Um, there's probably a lot of like sort of neo-Nazis in that area and KKK members and stuff like that, I'd imagine. Uh, so he really is in there shaking up the hornet's nest, isn't he? And Yeah, sometimes I, you know, I'd need to watch it again, but I felt like he had a, a flippy floppy kind of opinion and view on the whole race sexuality sort of thing it felt like he sort of flapped whichever way he wanted just to provoke the listener like, yeah well he'd, uh, he'd say something and then someone would phone in to say oh that was great you know i love what you're saying about this and then he'd say well no fuck you you know yeah he jumped down their throat about <laughs> yeah, it yeah he couldn't that's what i mean he couldn't take the compliment can he? he he's his radio persona wasn't that guy yeah that he couldn't he said oh you know it's boring when people love me. He sort of he said that or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's why his wife Ellen. Him. Surely she should have understood that when she's making that call. Oh yeah, he's got to do this. Yeah, yeah. And maybe uh, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because she sort of sympathised with him and sort of had that like, oh, you know, it's on his own. She could see something in him. She could see him wavering, and she thought she needed to throw him yeah a line. And all she done is just give him an opportunity to get right back on top, which is what he wanted. <laughs> but not in the way that she thought it was going to be, you know? Yeah. Or maybe she did just leave and think, you know where to find me. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, maybe because there's know no resolution to that see story. see her cry or anything, do we? You just... She, talk, she was clearly she, upset. Yeah. yeah. She just yeah. Hung, hangs up and storms off, doesn't she? But he's... Um, yeah, surely if she knows him that well, she'd have known that he couldn't have had that conversation. There's a few things in this that just didn't, ring true and possibly maybe if it was made now well they wouldn't be able to make it now would they wouldn't be able no to... <laughs> i'm guessing the content of it is why i couldn't find it on amazon prime or or anywhere you is it not I mean? was it not on there no no because i got this it's a i got this copy from a newspaper years and years ago so it's like a, a little paper copy and a little paper cd size but yeah i haven't looked for it you probably can still buy it you know, it is controversial, and I said at the beginning, I said, well, this is Oliver Stone, and this is the, you know, in the 80s, it's bound to be controversial, and it certainly was, it was a cutting film. But yeah, it's, uh, I'm yeah, glad I watched it, thanks Ingrid for suggesting it, I definitely enjoyed it, 
Um, like I say, I'm more familiar with a lot of his earlier work than I am his later stuff, Oliver Stone, but that's a good one. He definitely is a, a visionary filmmaker. And the way that the whole film was made interesting, being set basically, like we said, 75% inside a studio. Yeah. The cinematography in that was just really great. Use of shots and reflections and, you know, just to keep you intrigued in that one setting and to keep it interesting, visually interesting. I think I'll um, I'll watch Platoon. Yeah. But I, you know, not entirely sure I'll ever give talk radio another... Another watch. (laughs) Yeah, it just... It's going to go in your pile with uncut gems. You've seen it. Yeah. You've done that. <laughs> See, that, that's the thing. I can appreciate it for what it is. It's one of those films I can appreciate for what it is and, and you know, that it does what it sets out to do and that it's been well made, well produced, well acted. Yeah. But I didn't enjoy the, the feelings of watching it, yeah. you know. Um, it's It was too tense for me, you know. Yeah. But... You know, each to their own. Each to their own. So, yeah, thanks again. That was another listener request. We would love to have more requests. So go onto our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash We Need to Talk About Movies podcast. At the very top of the page, you'll see a picture of Donald Sutherland saying, We want your film choices. And stick your suggestions under there. And then Nathan and myself will pick one out in four weeks' time. So next week, it's we've changed the routine of this, the order of this as well, because we're going to do, I choose a film, Nath choose a film, we do a weird film, and then the listener f- chooses a film, or something like that. But what we're going to do is going to alternate. So I choose a film, then we do a weird film, then or, or the shit film, then Nath chooses a film, and then it's the listener's film. So next week, it's my choice again. So I've got one lined up. Hopefully you will enjoy that. But Nath... Thanks again for joining me. Thanks for letting me be part of it, mate. Well, really thanks, enjoyed it. Thanks for inviting me. Well, you're here in Nate's house today, so thank Nate, thank you for having me. It's <laughs> quite all right. And feeding me. That's why the acoustics are so off. I don't own any furniture. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get some clutter. That's what I need. Yeah. <laughs> what are you saying? Nothing. My house is nice and cluttered. <laughs> but yeah. there we go. All gone. No, I was just going to say, the acoustics in your living room is thanks to that wall-to-wall mounting of DVDs, I think. <laughs> possibly is so there we go another podcast another film podcasted (laughs) yeah that's what us be telling about join us next week for some more we need to talk about movies podcast (laughs) cheese cheese